Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and um, we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. Today we're going to jump from the Gospel of St. Mark to the Gospel according to St. John. And uh, it is the gospel that the church uses in cycle B for the Feast of Christ the King. It's a particularly kind of a complicated feast for us because we don't live in a milieu where the idea of kingship carries much meaning to it except celebrity. And, And yet when the feast was instituted in 1925 by Pope Pius XI, it was coming out of a world which was used to having kings and, and emperors and so forth, and there was a deep understanding, at least among most of the European peoples, of what kingship really was, was all about. It was basically an ideal. Obviously, it didn't always live up to an ideal because it was a human institution. Although, certainly deep into the Middle Ages, they, they, the king was uh, chrismated. He was uh, made king by being, by being anointed with chrism. And there was a deep suspicion during the Middle Ages that the kingship was in fact a sacramental office within the church. And as such, then, it, it, it had a particular function. It had a particular role that it played. And the role that it played in the medieval world was the king was supposed to embody everything that was good about the people and about the kingdom that he ruled. That uh, he was supposed to be a source of mercy and goodness and wisdom and understanding and justice and so forth. And so all the ideals that someone could have for a society were embodied, as a matter of fact, in the person of the king or the monarch king or queen or emperor or whoever. And so in choosing this kind of benevolent figure, um, Pius XI intended to extend into the post-First World War world the idea that, that, there, is, that there is somehow or other a, a, a residue of goodness, a residue of hope, and a residue of peace, and that that resides in the person of Jesus Christ. And the way to express it culturally at the time, of course, was to express it in a universal term for most people, which was, which was in fact, kingship. Um, it's interesting, you know, that um, for us in, in, the, uh, in the narrative of the American Revolution, the king becomes associated with tyranny and injustice. But I think it's an interesting thing, too, that I ran across a fact the other day that kind of surprised me that said that to remember that the majority of colonists were not with the revolution. The majority of the colonists in the United States were royal to the king. So it was a hard bond to break, even when it didn't work right within the world. So then we take this feast now, and we begin to conflict these ideas between the secular Roman world and the world of first century Judaism and the world also of the messianic mission of Jesus Christ. And it's one of those dialogues in the gospel that's interesting. I don't know if, 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 if any of us have ever been in a situation where you're talking to each other and you don't even realize you're talking about two entirely different realities. 
And that's exactly what's happening. So you're cross-talking, actually. And that's exactly what happens in this gospel. Jesus and Pilate are talking about two different realities. And the result of it is there's no actual communication going on in this gospel at all. Um, the communication is not necessarily to Pilate. The communication is to ourselves. And so the gospel starts <clears throat> with Jesus being taken before Pilate. And Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Pilate asked, and Jesus replied, do you ask this of your own accord or have others spoken to you about me? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? It is the, the, the Roman understanding that the only norm, of course, is the Roman Empire, and the only law is the Roman Empire, and then the only officials that matter are the people of the Roman Empire. And if the Jews are squabbling among themselves, which is what Pilate infers, then why should he be part of it, or why should he even know what's going on? He's, I'm not one of them, he says. It is your own people, the chief priests, who have handed you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus replied, Mine is not a kingdom of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my men would have fought to prevent my being surrendered to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this kind. So Jesus then establishes the difference in the conversation. He establishes a whole different, um, a whole different narrative, a whole different platform of meaning. And uh, so, but, and Pilate gets from this. Then, so you are a king. Then, said Pilate. Um, and it is you who say it, answered Jesus. Yes, I am a king. I was born for this and came into the world for this, to bear witness to the truth. And all who are on the side of truth, listen to my word. Put your, if you put yourself into Pilate's position, none of this makes any sense at all. He asked him a, he asked him a practical question. Are you a king? In other words, are you setting yourself up as competition to Caesar? And Jesus does not answer him on his terms. He answers him on his own terms. He said, yes, I am. But he doesn't then move into the political realm. He doesn't then move into the challenge to Caesar's kingship. He simply says, I was born for this and came into the world for this to bear witness to the truth. And all who are on the side of truth listen to my voice. And, of course, the famous line, which is not in this gospel, which comes next, as Pilate says, what is truth? In other words, Jesus is telling him, I am a king, but I'm not a king set up in competition with, with Caesar. I'm a king who came to bring truth into the world. And so my mission, therefore, is not political power. My mission is not their office. My mission is not, therefore, to take over the reins of government in Israel or anything like that. That it is, in fact, simply to witness to the truth. And Pilate doesn't even know what that means. What is truth, he says. And, and it's an important question. Because, you know, even in today's world, we have a struggle with this idea of truth. Um, we have, there's a, there's, a, there's a famous kind of philosopher of language, George Steiner, and he's written a great deal on this, and um, one of his books is Real Presence, as it's called, where he analyzes the changing function of language within the contemporary world. And in the changing function of language, he talks about how language loses re has lost a reference point. 
and that language no longer therefore speaks from the same from the same reference that it was before he said the organon of logos is broken in our mouth that he he, he kind of compares the modern discourse um, with the Tower of Babel, that people talk past each other, around each other. People do not understand what the other is saying or have no interest in what the other is saying. All that they have is, and we hear this frequently too in our world, all we have now really is my truth. And, of course, my truth is a totally subjective reality, having no anchor whatsoever, having no common reference point whatsoever. And so with the loss of common reference points, so too do we become victim to a loss of common meaning in language. And so the truth then becomes what I want it to become. We hear that in political rhetoric all the time. Anyone who, who listens uh, at any degree to political rhetoric, is, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of pathetic because no one ever says anything. And if they do, they have it so skewed that, um, you know, that it doesn't mean, that it doesn't convey meaning. And so that's exactly what's happening here. This modern linguistic problem that Steiner speaks of, many others speak of also, um, that language has lost its capacity to convey meaning. And uh, wow, that might not be true in personal conversations with people we know and people we talk to and people who are part of our local communities, but certainly on a universal level and certainly on a national level. Language itself has become a very ineffective means of communication. And it's more or less kind of an instrument. Again, as Steiner says, our, our times are filled with cancerous loquacity. And, uh, and he blames to a certain extent, of course, many things, but also the media. And he said the title mendacity of journalism. So I used that once, um, unfortunately, in, in front of media people, and, and it didn't go over very well. But, um, but I was quoting, um, and so I, I kind of, that was kind of helped a bit anyway. But that's what's happening right here. So they're having this discussion about, is Jesus a king? And Jesus says, yeah, he is. But Pilate doesn't sense within that any threat to the Roman Empire, which is the only thing he, can, he cares about. Um, that there is no law, there is no rule, there is no king but Caesar. And, um, and so, he, um, so he seems kind of nonplussed by it and kind of very dismissive of it. Am I a Jew? What is truth? Um, I, I'm just I'm, t I'm talking to a subculture of the empire that I don't understand, and that really it isn't really even worth understanding because I have no idea what he means, what he's talking about. But I think that this is an important thing. Without going into the into the concept of kingship and and what that means, and certainly Jesus is the king, the king of heaven and earth, and certainly Jesus therefore does contain within himself everything that is good about the created order and everything that is hopeful and promising about the created order. For he is the beginning and he is the end, the alpha and the omega. But here, it's really interesting because what he's saying is, I have come to talk about something serious and something true. 
And I have come to tell you about the reality that underlies the facades in which we live, the surfaces on which we survive. And, um, and Pilate is, of course, totally disinterested. But you know, so is the contemporary world totally disinterested in that, that he had come into this world to bear witness to the truth and all who are on the side of truth listen to my voice. Part of the problem <clears throat> with, the, with faith in the contemporary world is that it is, it is couched in a language that culturally basically has become weak. It no longer means the kinds of things that it is supposed to mean. And it is tremendously, therefore, subject to the subjective interpretation of the listener. Because the listener and the speaker do not have a common reference. And so when, in fact, and it was interesting, you know, back in the 50s, there were the, um, the Billy Graham Crusades, and, uh, and out of curiosity, uh, not so long ago, I decided to listen to one of, his, one of uh, Billy Graham's very long sermons. And, um, and it struck me how he had tens of thousands of people gathered in baseball stadiums and so forth for his crusade. But in listening to it today and listening to what he was saying, the tens of thousands had a similar frame of reference for the language that Billy Graham used. In other words, there was a, there was a sufficiently strong culture of Protestantism that they had a common language with common meaning and common symbols and common reference points. Graham hit those ingeniously over and over and over again to the great emotion and the great approval of the crowd. If he were to gather that many people in a stadium today and say exactly the same thing, it would be nothing much would happen because there would be a hundred different interpretations of what he was saying because his reference to the Bible and his reference to the, uh, to the language of Protestantism which was rooted in, uh, in a very, very set and fixed formula, um, would not be part of the consciousness of the people that he was speaking to. And so his language would not have the power and the meaning that it had in the 1950s. And I think that we ourselves today, when we talk about the faith, when we think about the faith, even in our own minds, we face the very same problem. Catholics have, to a great extent, also lost much of their common reference points. And so when we talk about the proclamation, when we talk about the word, um, do you realize, I think it was just today, the, um, the Pillar published a, a, um, uh, a survey in which saying that something like 41% of only 41% of Roman Catholics believe that the Eucharist is the real presence of Jesus Christ. Well, that's the destruction of the most fundamental universal reality within the Catholic world. If less than half of our people believe the fundamental references um, within, within the life of the church, then how is it possible for, for the word of God, for preaching, to be something that um, 
that reaches into the hearts and reaches into the souls of our own people. And then we we can talk about, you know, well, the quality of the homilies and the quality of sermons and so forth. I mean, my experience is that especially the younger guys have that down very well. They're very good at it. And, uh, and they're very clear and they're very precise. And interestingly enough, they struggle all the time, however, to use kind of contemporary references. And they have to be very careful doing that um, because some of those references simply are gone or will be gone soon. Someone who starts out with a relevant homily five years later, it doesn't mean anything anymore because the secular references that it uses in order to interpret the text that they're saying um, is no longer is no longer part of the of the common vocabulary, and so people are either saying, "Well, this is just out of date," or else they don't know what they're talking about. Um, this is what's. Th- listen to this. This is what's happening here. Pilate wants to know, are you a king? And Jesus says, well, are you saying this, or, or do you think I am, or do you say, I don't really care, Pilate says. All I know is that your own people, the chief priests and your own people, have handed you over, accusing you, claiming to be a king, and we know there is only one king, and that king is Caesar. So, are you a competitor to his? Are you a revolutionary? Are you someone who wants to overthrow the, the empire and take over? Are you the one whose great desire is to be Caesar? And, and Jesus said, well, we're not talking about the same kind of kingship. He said, but my kingdom is not of this kind. Well, if it's not of this kind, then for Pilate it has no meaning. Because if it's not of a Roman kind, then, what, then that's the only common reference point that there is. The language of the subculture of Judaism over on the other side of the, of, of the Mediterranean Sea is not something that Pilate is particularly interested in. The Roman governors were sent to, Jude, to Judas, were sent to Israel um, for, for, uh, for a very particular reason. And that is because there was there was restlessness among the Jews, and there was frequent outbursts of violence, and so the governor had to rule with an iron hand, and he had to make very clear that there was no factionalism, and that the Jewish factionalism did not break over into trouble for the Roman Empire. Um, that's you know that's what this is all about. Are you are you a troublemaker? Aren't you? And actually, this is why Pilate finally just says, "Fine, go crucify him." Um, it makes no difference to me, but I see nothing wrong with him. I don't think that he's challenging Caesar, and uh, but, but do with him what you want. But here it's the same thing. I don't care what you think, and I don't care what you're here for. I don't care who you are. What I care is, are you a challenge to the structures of Rome? And if so, then I'll have to take care of it. And if not, then you go about your own people and you settle your own disputes and you talk about whatever this is you're talking about. And maybe they'll understand you, but certainly I do not. And so Jesus then goes on to say that he was the king, he was born for this, he came into the world for this, to bear witness to the truth. And as soon as he brings up the truth as the purpose and the kind of the, the purpose and the realm of, of his kingdom, he kind of uh, leaves Pilate in the dust because Pilate is not the least bit interested in whatever this truth might be. Obviously, it's a truth that is not relevant to him. 
obviously it's a truth that is in that is imperv that the Roman Empire is impervious to. So whatever it is, you go ahead and do it. Um, as long as you don't cause a civil disturbance and as long as, as, as you don't challenge the authority of Rome. I think that we have to sit back and take this also. And as I said before, we do ourselves have a language problem. We do ourselves, even within the church, speak past each other about two different living realities. Um, as, as, the unit, as, the, as the unity of the church breaks down and, and as the kind of the... Uh, the the general doctrinal um, positions of the church become less and less gripping on on the community of believers. It becomes harder and harder to communicate, and and I think that um, that there's colossal efforts to do that. Certainly, one of the great media kings today is uh, is Bishop Barron. Um, but Bishop Barron's, his, his basically his powerful, powerful entry into the whole um, into the whole evangelical world, very honestly, was visually in his wonderful series on Catholicism, where he appealed to the vision, to the visual rather than to the oral, and he continues to do that, which is probably the root of his success because a great deal of what he says would pass over many others as totally irrelevant, because it, 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 it no longer speaks of a common reference point to many. But the visuals are powerful, and the visuals are there. And I, I think that, uh, in a way, it goes back to a fundamental idea of, um, of, of education. I recall, I'm speaking the other day of you know, my own experience with coming through public school religion when I was a kid. That, um, that the only thing really that I do remember is a book on the Bible that we had when I was in the fourth grade. And, uh, and I can still see the pictures and know the stories and so forth. It communicated to me something of the story of the Old Testament. And that stuck in me, you know, the rest of my life. I can even picture the book um, because it had such a powerful impact on me. Um, so, so we have to go back to more fundamental and basic things. I think that, uh, that one of the things that happens is that uh, when we do try to communicate the faith with each other, we have to strive and find, first of all, what are our common basis? What, is the, what, what, what do we have in common that we can speak about the faith? Do we believe that Jesus Christ is God? Do we believe that his body and blood, soul, and divinity is in the Eucharist? Do we believe these kinds of things? If so, then we have a foundation for Christian conversation. If we don't believe these things, it becomes incredibly difficult to do that. Um, for instance, try, try as a very devout Catholic to speak to... Um, to, to speak to a uh, fundamentalist Christian. And many of the words, many of the phrases, many of the, much of the language they use is not familiar to us, nor is ours familiar to them. And so we have a very hard time talking about, except to say that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in saying that, you know, Jesus Christ is Lord, well, it becomes, it becomes an issue for us, because what does it mean that he is Lord? What it means is that he is the universal king, that he is Christ the king. We are identifying by the feast day that we celebrate today. And yet at the same time, 
it doesn't mean that to everybody who uses those who uses those kinds of words. So when Pilate then says to Jesus, it is you, or when Jesus says to Pilate, it is you who says it, um, and Jesus answered then in a way that was totally incomprehensible to Pilate, but hopefully is comprehensible to ourselves, that he came into the world to bear witness to the truth and that all who are on the side of truth listen to his voice. The answer to Pilate's question, what is truth? The answer is, of course, God. God is truth. And therefore, anything pertaining, legitimately pertaining to God, has to do with the reality and the truth of our world. How do we access that? How do we access that today? Um, when language itself becomes a weak vehicle, when language itself becomes a difficult vehicle for us to, uh, to express any kind of of um, more serious thought, any kind of deeper thought, any kind of thought that 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 uh, that touches upon the transcendent and the divine, I think that this we might want to reflect in in our own minds and say, first of all, the scriptures should become a common book for us, for all Catholics. We should become familiar with the language of Scripture and the way that, the, that Scripture unfolds the meaning of Jesus in our world. We should become familiar with the symbols of Scripture. We should become familiar, of course, with the crucifixion, with the Eucharist, with the baptism, with the forgiveness of sins, with the healing of the sick, with the proclamation of the truth, and so forth, so that we have a common storyline, we have a common base in which we can discuss at least with each other. Then, once we can discuss with each other, our struggle is to be able to, how do we say this that I know and understand and accept within me? How do I say it in a modern, contemporary way so that the person I'm talking to does not end up like Pilate saying, yeah, whatever, that the person I'm talking to understands and realizes that there is something very, very deep, something very, very serious in my life that I would like to communicate and that I plead for a cooperation in the attribution of meaning to words in order that we might be able to communicate about those things which ultimately do matter. For it is only through the entrance into the, into the repository of truth that exists in Christ the King, the one who is the embodiment of all good, that we are able then by entering into Christ to understand in any way the things that he says to us, that we may say them with confidence to others. Let our prayer be that we solve this problem of a fractured meaning within society and that we regain in some way, shape, or form, at least among ourselves as Catholics, a common language and a common reference and common symbolism with which we can communicate with one another. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com.